Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Searching for Political Identity. This is episode 96, and I'm looking forward to introducing my guest in just a moment. But before I do, very quickly, I just want to say a word or two to the audience. If you've been listening to the show since its inception, you know that I started it during law school in my last year. And at one point, I was getting ready to take the bar exam in July 2022. But a series of events kind of ended up becoming a roadblock that and I ended up postponing the exam. So point is, that is now approaching where I have to take the exam. So I've kind of been in this limbo audience and guest where every time I went to and this is just an excuse, really, but in some way, it's true. Every time I went to really go hit it hard and start really zeroing in on this podcast to bring it to the next level. I've just had a kind of a rough couple months. So now I'm going to go dark again, going to try to do a podcast every week during this study period. But when the bar exam is on the other side, I hope to really take this podcast up a notch in terms of the work that I'm doing. My guests have been really fantastic, really quality stuff. I believe in what I'm doing here, mostly because of my guests. And so it's been a great experience. I hope the audience uh, agrees with that. And so I just wanted to kind of make that announcement that I'm still in this holding pattern, but bright days are ahead. So with that said, I want to welcome my guest, Altered State. Altered State, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I'm good, man. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Let's get right into it. want to be precious with your time. Um, well, your time is precious, I should say. Um, we started talking on Twitter. You're a libertarian, correct? Right. Now I've got you on the on the on the stand. <laughs> uh, you're voluntary, v- voluntarist, libertarian, anarcho-capitalist. All right. So yes. I've spoken to a bunch of libertarians at this point. So take me a little deeper. What are what is the divide within libertarianism? You're clearly an anarcho-capitalist. What is that, and what are the o- other options? So, in my opinion, I believe libertarian is a stepping stone to get us to anarcho-capitalist. It's a more digestible message that people can kind of relate to. I know that it hasn't had the, the outreach that you know people had hoped through the years since its inception. Um, but uh, as Ayn Rand and... and so yeah, and when did, who, 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 who started that? Was, was that her? Um, well, the ideas have, you know, were laid down with, uh, with capitalism. Uh, and that's the foundation that, uh, you know, the, the trade agreements between people uh, could set the stage for society as a whole. Uh, and it has the non-aggression principle uh, as a founding uh, fundamental purpose of both libertarianism, anarcho-capitalism, and voluntarism. And it's that you have your own free will to do what you want as long as you don't infringe on someone else's rights. Mm-hmm. So literally, you could believe whatever you wanted personally like you could be christian or jewish or muslim and have all those fundamental principles to your life but you don't use the government to enforce that on someone else Mm -hmm. right and most people would probably say yeah that's how it should be that's that's my opinion um but unfortunately with the the society structures that we have today uh you have a whole group of people wanting to control you know like the big hot topic topic issue is today is, is gun control. Right. But, you know, people that go out and commit uh, gun violence, uh, they're breaking the law by doing that. 
you know, if you if you injure someone with a weapon, that's already against the law. So making it harder or pushing guns to the black market, it would equate to the, the war on drugs that we have, which is uh, obviously it's failing. We have more right. drug overdoses than ever before. Mm. Uh, fentanyl is, is uh, you know, it's just taking over. And uh, I believe that the war on guns will do the same thing. It's just going to make it uh, easier for you to go to the black market because people are going to buy guns. Uh, that if they want a gun bad enough, you can go out and, and purchase those, uh, whether right. it be legitimately uh, through a, you know, a dealer or trade show or, or, however, or a private individual you can go to. Uh, yeah, that's so, no, very interesting. It's all trade-offs, right? Exactly. So a couple years ago at this point, I had these two guys on this show and they may have been the first libertarian slash anarchist. And again, I know there's a spread within that community and I don't fully understand it, but I do understand that some people do view libertarianism as a stepping stone, as you say, to anarcho-capitalism. And let me try to unpack what that means. You tell me if I'm saying this right. Actually, just yesterday, uh, someone sent me a clip from that show. Um, like literally the one fan I have, and I'm really grateful for this guy. I'm not being cheeky. <laughs> like literally my one fan sent me a clip from this conversation. And it was a good point when the two guys were explaining to me what they mean when they say capitalism. And, and they said, look, there's a big misunderstanding in America on what that means. And we have to be clear what we're talking about. Are we talking about corporations making policy or like big corporations dictating policy? Or are we talking about the voluntary exchange of value? And as a student, as someone who just graduated from law school, I can, oh yeah, well, yeah. In contracts class, you learn that the underpinning of society, certainly from a contract perspective, but that's why I liked law school so much because it was so much the the structure of society. Like it's like the matrix on behind the curtain. Like, what is this all about? And it's so foundational, this idea that subject to certain limits, you know, policy limits, um, moral limits, frankly, um, there are some limits, but generally the idea that you can contract in like one of the most interesting cases that you study. And I won't, we won't go into the case, but it's like, it was a New York law in 1906. And it was whether or not um, this law that the New York legislature passed saying that there was a maximum amount of hours that bakers could work baking um, um, the bakers, the small mom and pops, they wanted the law to be struck down. They wanted, they didn't want max limits. They wanted to be able to work as much as they want. But the legislature in their wisdom said, no, this is not healthy. There's too much sugar. There's too much dust. And you had the, the, the laborer wanting to contract with business to, for their free will and their, you know, for their time, for the money. Right. And the government, there the government was saying, no, you can't do it. So the limits are always going to be an argument point, but yeah, foundational. Um, and so the, so you're people like you with your beliefs, you'd like to see us just get to as close to just that as possible. Right. Yeah. And uh, I think, um, during, as, as you were speaking just now, um, so we have the separation of church and state. I think anarcho-capitalism is the separation of capitalism and state. 
because when you yeah. have government imposing all these uh, rules that they, 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 they do it to industries they know nothing about, so it harms it as a whole. But also, as you get these corporations and there's no competition, they can pay the legislatures to limit anyone else's ability to, to uh, enter that market. And that's exactly uh, what the study of that case was, was big business saying, hey, we're going to squeeze out the little guys. Exactly. The, the what is it, the certificate of need laws in several states? Um, completely. You have to, if you want to open a business uh, in some states, you have to get what's called a certificate of need law or, or a license to be able to perform in that. Well, if you have an established business already, they're not going to like that. They're going to, you know, fight right. that every step of the way because they don't want competition. They can charge whatever price they want if they're the only guy in town. Uh, I remember watching a uh, John Stossel video about, uh, I think it was in Kentucky. Um, or he was trying to open, he, he had a uh, ambulatory service in Kentucky and he was trying to open up another one in Ohio, which uh, there was only like two or maybe three and people were waiting three to four hours on an ambulance to take them mm -hmm. like from one hospital to another, not for um, emergency ambulatory services, but for your know, patients that were already established at a hospital to go to another hospital. And this guy was like, you know, I could do it for half the price. I could be there and, 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 and pick them up within uh, 30 minutes or right. you know, maybe even less. And uh, the established guys in the market said that uh, that'll hurt us. So we don't want that. And obviously they're paying off the, the local, you know, businesses or the, the local. Uh, Whoever government. powers that yeah. be. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, so mm. they weren't able to open that new market up. Yeah. That's distressing now, but, but are you one of these people that says we shouldn't have any regulations and I'm not trying to be cheeky, but like, you know, people say, Hey, no, like we should deregulate everything and get the government out of the way and do, do, would one you like the time? Yeah, one step right. at a time, right? Because the way we've got our system now, it's completely, um, you know, they call it capitalism, but it's the most perverse way that you could operate a capitalist market. We're so close to socialism or communism because the government controls every. It's it's trickle down. Flesh that out a little bit more for me. Can you explain that a little bit? Right. So if you want to go build a house, uh, if you're a home builder. You have to go through the EPA to get an environmental uh, certificate. You have to go through the local uh, county or city or whoever owns, like controls the building in your area. You have to get a certificate through them to build the house. And then, uh, you know, you have to go through all these other processes to be able to just build a house. So in, Cal in California, New York, all these places with these housing crunches, uh, the steps are much greater than other areas. Right. So you get a squeeze on the market, which causes an, uh, an inflation of the prices because there's no competition for, you know, there's not enough houses or uh, apartments or whatever other rental properties may be needed. You have to go through all these hoops to get there that you can't, uh, it's not worth it to fund. You just go somewhere else and, and, and do it for a quarter of the price or maybe even less in some situations. Yeah, that's true. So, so many questions I could ask you, but what did libertarians or anarcho-capitalists such as yourself think about the concept of a social safety net and the poor? Because a lot of my search is 
you know, finding my personal identity as well as my political mm-hmm. and wrestling with my upbringing and my liberal father, who's a great guy and really smart, um, but who also, you know, I, I also want to not necessarily do everything like. So that's kind of the mm-hmm. psychological underpinning. But I am also logically, having gone through law school just now, you know, asking the question freshly, what should our policy be towards the poor, quote unquote? Sure. And and people try to clown on libertarians or anarcho-capitalists for this very reason. But the charitable giving is a large part of being a libertarian or anarcho-capitalist. Uh, first of all, you wouldn't be paying income taxes. So that's three months out of the year that you're paying the government just to pay the government, just for whatever their purposes are. They're so wasteful in their spending that the money you pay in, like some charities, you know, they say 90 cents per dollar goes to the people that you send it to or whatever for their mm-hmm. administrative fees or whatever. Well, the government's much worse than that. Right. It's like 30%. Right. Or maybe even more in some cases. So they're, they're squandering all this money that they're pulling out from income taxes for things that you don't want to fund. Who doesn't want to help feed poor people or, you know, somebody starving, some starving children? Who doesn't want to do that? If you had a third extra income, four months of the year that you're working for free, if you have that extra availability, you could start your business. You could do charitable donations. There's so many options that you would do with this cash in your pocket, and you could put it where you want to not where the government says that you right need to and you could rely on social activists social activists would have to step up and organize and say hey look right we've Even got all this money step- in our pocket let's fit and we got this problem let's start a group right so like even with the food stamp prop uh you know the uh payments and stuff that people get there's still people going hungry and still a large portion of those people's foods comes from charitable organizations like food banks or uh you know, charitable giving, mm. even with the food stamps, it's, it's, it, it just doesn't work and it's not going to. Mm-hmm. So I assume you're not a fan of our involvement in Ukraine. I assume you would say that, uh, I'm just having fun assuming what you think. <laughs> um, uh, I am assuming that you would say, Hey, look, not cool to start a war of aggression, even if it's about, you know, historical lands that you have ties to, it's just not cool. But uh, it's not our fight. Is that fair? So it's there's a there's a storied issue. You know, there's so many small factors that can go into play. And if you pick one, people are going to chew your head off. But at the end of the day, we were the aggressors initially. We signed the agreement in the 90s that we wouldn't annex Ukraine for or well, I say annex, but it's essentially what we're doing is annexing it for the NATO alliance. Um, but we signed. When the dissolution of the the Warsaw Pact, we said that we wouldn't um, have Ukraine in the NATO alliance. And we've been working up to that little by little ever since. We we, uh, overthrew their government in, what, 2013, 2014, Mm -hmm. uh, the pro-Russian president that they had. And, you know, we have been, it's, they're basically still working on it. And Russia was like, you know, we're not going to have that. So we're going to go in and do whatever we have to do to, to stop that from occurring. And mm-hmm. now we're funding it with, with these millions of dollars or billions of dollars, I should say hundreds of billions. 
and we don't even know where this is going. We're sending all this money over there, all these weapons over there. Are they selling it? Are they using it? I'm, obviously, they're using some of it, but you know, mm -hmm. you really have no accountability of what happens once we send it to uh, Ukraine. Yeah, I mean, and so quickly the public sentiment gets built up, you know, to push you in the direction of, you know, if you have a heart, you're gonna and you and you like liberty, <laughs> you're gonna support this. So it's always a good idea to question the mainstream narrative. Uh, but you also don't want to go overboard in the other direction and say, oh, you know, you don't want to sound conspiratorial and say, oh, it's all money laundering. But you know that it's historically a pretty corrupt country to date in Europe. Um, so what to make of it? I mean, it's it's that's a crazy world event that has popped up. And you wonder if it would have would have happened if Trump had remained in office. I mean, it's a you never know. Right. As a, as a libertarian, I, I don't. Uh... It is sad. Yeah. I don't necessarily support Trump, but yeah. Tell me about as... Trump. I might as well get to that now. Okay, sure. Um, I mean, he has done some good things that, you know, I do agree with. He's cut some regulations. He, he had limited more regulations than any president that I've been alive has done. Um, but he, you know, the FBI, the CIA and the NSA, uh, part of the, the fundamental approach from the libertarians and anarcho-capitalists anarcho is to dissolve those because they shouldn't, if it's not in the constitution, the federal government shouldn't have that power over the states. If the states want to, you know, create some multi-district uh, investigative unit, mm. that's up to them. That's interesting. But the federal government shouldn't be involved in that. And especially with the, you know, the Patriot Act. And then now we've got the, the Patriot Act 2.0 on steroids, uh, you know, with the TikTok ban and all that, it's just getting worse. And that's, that's a that's... really interesting distinction between the idea of having a federal police force and having highly integrated multi-state units. It's right. just a really interesting thought. With the internet now, they, they've basically accomplished that already. So, right. you know, it's, it's fascinating, actually. Yeah. So they can share records yeah, yeah. between communities and that and it happens, you know, in the eighties and 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 before and nineties even. Uh you'd see these, you know, serial killers get away with, you mm -hmm. know, doing crimes in different counties and then very different world now. Right. Yep. They can't do that anymore. Mm. So So Trump, yeah, I couldn't vote for him, but I ever since he came down the escalator, I was like, damn, this guy's got some talent. That's for sure. And um He's onto something. He's onto something. Right. And there's, yeah, go ahead. There's just so much uh, disillusionment within the American people. And I think with the Trump election in 2016, they were just trying to get something different. He's, he's the only guy offering anything different. Sure was. No matter the Republican or Democrat in the last 60 years, the only goal that they've accomplished is consolidating more power to the federal government. Mm -hmm. And mm. I, I think that maybe people are starting to realize that you can't have the duopoly of power that we have because essentially they do the same thing. They just have minor differences between small issues that cause people to fight. So they divide the population and they remain in power. It doesn't matter who you vote for between the two parties. 
you're going to end up with the same result eventually. Which is more federal power, stronger federal government. Exactly. And that's it, more, huh? More taxes. More taxes. More socialism, uh, less freedom. Mm. You know, uh, they exchange freedoms for safeties. And, you know, uh, let's see, who was it that said that if you exchange your... Uh, Thomas Jefferson, wasn't it? Yeah, there you go. Something like that, right? Yep. If you exchange yeah. your freedoms, you can't for have safety, both something like you, that. You deserve neither. Right. Right. So, so do you have any thoughts on the American dollar and the strain of thought out there amongst independents and libertarians who are saying Biden is intentionally or negligently, uh, grossly sabotaging the dollar? And what do you think about currency? So that's another important issue to libertarians and, and anarcho-capitalists. Uh, but, but you say Biden, but but Trump actually, he, uh, during the waning days of his presidency, during the COVID uh, spike, he added more money than Biden uh, did. Right. So uh, with the stimulus packages and the, uh, you know, the, the COVID relief funds and stuff that they put out for the small businesses and then the individuals, um and what 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 that did is set up a stage so that when we put the uh sanctions against russia it further um added to their uh need for an, an ulterior method of uh purchasing fuel goods so now china Russia, South Africa, Iran, Saudi Arabia, they're all ditching the US dollar for the, which is called the, the global reserve currency. But it's not going to be that way anymore. And once this goes through further, you're going to see hyperinflation, which, uh, you know, if you look at Germany during the 20s, you, you can see exactly what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to have to have a wheelbarrow of cash to buy a loaf of bread. So, so you do believe that we're headed for an absolute it's coming. storm. Well, you got so many different factors at play. You've got world war three, you've got the inflation, you've got China, you've got all these different situations that are all playing out at the same time. Yeah. There's no real way to combat this. It's the Hydra that, you know, you cut one head yeah. off and, two more come up or three more come up at this point, you know, we're going to, we're going to feel some pain uh, no matter what yeah. we do. Right. So some, maybe some starving Americans that wouldn't have otherwise been starving, things like Unfortunately, that. Yeah. yeah. Starving You're to death. Bread yeah. lines and, and, you know, the mass mm. transit of Americans to certain areas and, and it's, it's coming. I, I think, you know, that's where all the evidence leads to suggest. Right. Mm. Do you think this was intentional by our federal government? Um, grossly negligent? What do you think? Just a matter of time? I don't know. So with the way the Federal Reserve works in principle, I think it was a matter of time. I think there has some ne been some negligence that has played into increasing the speed of that. But the way that they operate with their lending practices and 
the inflationary, the fiat currency that we have, it's, that's just how fiat works. You have to increase the supply. Um, they, they, you know, they target like a 1.2% interest rate or, you know, uh, inflation rate, inflationary rate each year. And, uh, you know, when inflation jumps off the board, they have to raise high, or high, uh, hike the rates, which is what they're doing now, which, which, uh, you know, causes the quagmire and the rest of the economy. There's, uh, you know, houses went from what, 3%, 4% of 30 year fixed rates to now like 8% almost maybe. Right. So, it, but that, you know, that's only three or 4%. What, how much could that be? That's, that's a hundred thousand dollars or so over, you know, depending on the value of your home oh, no, that you it's finance. It's, uh, and so, you know, people can't afford to buy houses, which was already an issue for younger Americans joining the, the market looking for homes. So yeah. you're, for, you're forcing people into renting, um, you know, and then that market gets saturated and the prices climb too. So it's like, you don't have, uh, then there's then you get the situation where people are calling for a raise of the federal minimum wage. And Which I assume you don't agree with. No, it should be zero minimum wage. Uh, it should be set in your market locally. You know, maybe counties or states could set their own minimum wage, which is completely within their right if that's what they choose to do. Mm-hmm. But you can't say that uh, a 14 year old entering the workforce for the first time at McDonald's or wherever should make $25 an hour or, mm. you know, whatever they're calling for now. I've, I've seen some people call for 25 or, you know, 15 or whatever. Um, you have to earn that, you know, with experience or with schooling, uh, with a trade craft. It just doesn't come free mm. to make all this money. Now, what would you say to Bernie Sanders if he was standing right in front of you? And he said, but Mr. Altered State, cost of living has gone up. Wages haven't. What are you going to do? You're going to just let people figure it out. Well, you know, if, if, if the wage is so low that the business is, is starting people at, there's not going to be any, anybody that take that job. Uh, so eventually they will have to raise the standard wage that they're offering. If, if you want people to come work at your job, there is a balance and it will balance itself out without the government stepping in mm. to create that. It's, it's when the government mm. does it, it's an, it's an unholy balance. Because mm. you're asking, you know, because the federal level, there's so many different markets that you, you, you look at Mississippi having a $25 an hour uh, minimum wage versus California having like, you know, downtown Los Angeles. They're just not the same market. The cost of living is not the same. Right. And, and you don't want the same cost of living in Mississippi because it's not as a desirable place or traditionally um, it may become more desirable as prices rise elsewhere. But uh, you know, it's a nice state. I, I've been th- there several times and there's nothing wrong with it. But as far as uh, desirability overall, uh, climate wise or, you know, politically wise or ho- however you want to look at it. Uh, Doesn't have as many draws. Right. Exactly. Where did you learn about laws? Just reading on your own or did you go to law school? Just, just reading. Yep. Mm hmm. And who are, who are some of your influences uh, that have kind of led you here? So uh, idea you know, wise, I, philosophically, I think Ayn Rand has inspired me quite a bit as far as, uh, you know, seeing what capitalism is really capable of. She's, How did she uh, show you that? Um, I read several of the 
of her books. Uh, let's see. I can't. Um, um, God, they're hard to read. Yeah, they are. Um, and, you know, it. she lays out a very compelling argument. If, if you take away the incentive to someone from someone to try to succeed, they're not going to try to succeed any longer. So you mm. won't get the Jeff Bezos. You won't get the Elon Musk. You're just going to get a bunch of average people doing a bunch of average things and you're going to get no actual uh, advancement in the market. You know, people don't innovate if they're not going to get compensated for it, in my opinion. You know? mm -hmm. And that's a lot of uh, evidence suggests that like, you didn't see, you know, uh, supercomputers coming out of the Soviet Union uh, during the 50s, 60s and 70s. Uh, but in the United States, where you have an incentive to be able to develop that or, you know, for companies to to look at putting money into it because the government it, it's um the way they grant money for research purposes um is you know completely different if you uh look at the western hemisphere versus you know the eastern mm -hmm. but also in a way I, I don't agree with the way that the government does that thing because you get biased studies if you get a certain political party in power they have one agenda over another so they're going to they're going to fund money to what may benefit them versus just you know the advancement in general right. the politic politicization of science and data right so you've got the, the global warming and all that stuff or what yeah, climate change tell me what do you think about global warming total hoax well i i don't think it's a total hoax i think that if we look back over the last hundred thousand years we see that the climate has changed rapidly before any civilization was there to impact it you know ten thousand years ago we came out of the younger driest period with the glaciers and the you know the ice age and now we're here uh and we were on that trajectory long before uh we started industrializing and i i really don't think that there's enough cows that between those two periods of time hmm that have caused that because they were sure it sure wasn't the you know the machines and the factories pumping out co2 and i don't think you know that is helping but it's not affecting it at the degree that they think it is or that they they're uh, estimating hmm. and i don't necessarily think it's a bad thing if we warm up a couple of degrees right and so what explains then the push to get to greenify our, our economy is it just one set of powerful business interests against another or is more it control? control? Yeah. More control. Yeah. There, you know, the more things about your life that they can control, micromanage what you do, what you eat, where you go. And it's, um, and it's a virtuous in their mind, right? Oh, right. Absolutely. That's, that's right. their, that's their narrative is that, uh, Saving the world. save the planet. Right. And, you know, if you don't agree with us, you're a fascist Nazi, racist bigot um you know all these other words that they throw out when they have no real argument yeah is there are there any candidates that you like uh previewing coming up uh you know all things considered knowing that dismantling this state in the way that you'd like to see it is, is probably a multi-generation effort it is it's 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 gonna be i mean until we see a drastic change in the landscape of the United States. It it 
will be. I mean, but I'm anticipating that it's going to be, there's going to be a rapid change soon. Hopefully not. I, I don't want to see that, but. Because of if, just calamity. Yeah. You don't want people to suffer. That's not what we're here for. We want to build each other up. That's the whole libertarian movement is to have everyone with opportunity to improve that their you know, their life situation, uh, their education levels, uh, their monetary uh, success. That's 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 the whole principle of libertarianism is to have everybody have the option. Right, and but it, ultimately lives. that it's on you. Yeah, it's it's on your. Doesn't it doesn't it coincide so well with the, you know, this life coaching philosophy that um, a friend of mine has? He's an amazingly successful um, fitness trainer, blah blah blah, and his. Uh, I think you can boil down his philosophy into two words: extreme ownership. I right. own everything that happens to me. You know what I mean? I am not a victim. Right. And isn't that the ethos? Is just. And but the other side would call that bootstraps, and they would say, "But you want people to have bootstraps who don't have bootstraps, and this and that." So, you know, the argument goes back and forth. And so right. we, you know, if we had more time, we we could get into it. Maybe we could another time, um, get into, you know, the black community and arguments about reparations, and because it fits into the conversation about. Well, just about what right. we're having, what the role of government is and the role of the individual and race relations and why they're as bad as they are. They've deteriorated. Give me your um, I know we only have a couple of minutes left, but what, what did you think about Obama? I voted for him twice. I was young. Um, I don't know if I would do it again or not. I'm searching, but he sure as hell inspired me at the time. Absolutely. I in 2008, I the the hope the campaign that he ran was absolutely genius. Right. But uh you know, I was in Iraq at that point. I wow. I could have voted, but I I didn't. Uh, hmm. But he probably would have gotten my vote. You know, I was young so at that point. The, so you served. You're a serviceman. Yes, yes. So I, I was in the army. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Um. Wow. Why don't you put that on your Twitter profile? Because you're anonymous. You could have easily just put that. Why not? <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Um. Looking back, though, I, I think I was just, uh, I had a grander idea of what it would be like to serve my country, and I thought I had a noble purpose, but being in Iraq, we really had no business being there in the first place. Uh, it wasn't our, like, you know, they didn't ask us to come help them. Uh, Hussein had no WMDs. Right. Uh, they weren't linked to Al-Qaeda. Uh, later, after we got there, you know, the insurgents started coming in. But we had no, like, you know, Saddam didn't like us. He probably would have killed our president if he saw him on the street. Hmm. But for the average American person, we really had no business being there. Right. And you could make a list of 10 different things that you could probably tie back to um, our invasion that are just unfortunate consequences. Absolutely. All the so, civilians, the service members. Yeah, no. so many things. Um, so that's a really interesting wrinkle. I didn't know you served. And again, uh, I, I'm, I'm really... Um, I don't know. I love I love America. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I grew up in the suburbs in New Jersey and I just, you know, was raised doing the Pledge of Allegiance. And I just love I love the country. Absolutely. And so I I'm love grateful. America. too. Yeah. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very patriotic. And yeah. I think that the fundamental pr principle of America is is astounding. We're the only nation on the planet that's got a constitution like ours. Right. But we're 
we're not following it trampling on it yeah, yeah. and 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 knowing that we're up against the clock let me just first thank you for joining me i i've actually really appreciated the conversation i'm not surprised that i am based on our chat on twitter but um i, I i'm grateful yeah you know progressives they want to achieve their goals by any means necessary Mm-hmm. And conservatives say no. The form matters, like, right? And that's lost in the conversation. Is m- many progressives don't appreciate what conservatives are concerned about, right? So I'm hoping through conversations like these to help people see each other a little more clearly. And I- I'd hope I hope we can talk again. I think there's a lot deep. We can go a lot deeper. So I'd Absolutely. love to have you back. Yeah, that'd be great. I'd be uh, happy to come back on. Yeah, we can unpack further. And I listened to Howard Stern. He said, when I have a guest on repeat, I make sure never to ask them again what we already talked about. So make sure it won't be boring. (laughs) So I look forward to drilling in deeper with you, but very grateful for your time. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. Have a great night.